can. Spins a web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, your one-stop shop for everything 1960s Spider-Man. With me again, I have Mr. Bertoni and Mr. Donovan Grant. Thank you guys for being on the show. We are on episode number two, covering Amazing Spider-Man issues one and two. Since this is actually five minutes after the last episode stopped recording, let's dive right into issue number one of Amazing Spider-Man. Was released on December 10th, 1962, with a cover date of March 1963. Again, we have Jack Kirby drawing Spider-Man for us and the Fantastic Four with uh, Steve Ditko going back and inking all the little webs in. And Artie Samek is the man we have to thank for the amazing Spider-Man logo that has lasted all these decades. He did the lettering and the logo design on the cover here. So that's really pretty cool. I think he should get more credit for that. This issue has two... Feature-length Spider-Man thrillers. We have Spider-Man in a really awesome... I really, really like this cover. This is not quite as iconic as Amazing Fantasy 15, but I really like it. He's like, the Fantastic Four think I'm trapped, but they don't suspect my real power. Well, that's corny, but the picture itself is pretty cool. Sounds like a villain there. (laughs) It actually does. It's like the Fantastic Four meet the Spider-Man. Which the Fantastic Four were the more popular team at the time. Yeah, I know, In fact, right? for, for a long time, they were Marvel's best-selling title. At one point, Spider-Man did surpass the Fantastic Four. And if you read those early Fantastic Four titles, you can see why it was the most popular one. Because those I are really love good stuff. the Lee and King. I, I have not yet finished it. We're in the 70s somewhere with my daughter. I love that Fantastic Four run. There are a couple of clunkers, like the first Diablo story and, and a couple others, like the hate monger I didn't really care for. But in, or but, Rain um, and Sue forget that they're engaged and he proposes to her again. Yes, that's that's awesome. They're They're engaged in the first issue and then not again until like 30 so this first story is called Spider-Man, which is original, and it's almost like the second half of the origin story, sort of providing a link between the initial 11-page story and the rest of the Spidey adventures to come. It picks up directly from the end of Amazing Fantasy 15, even includes a brief recap for those who missed the other book from six months earlier. Peter Parker is still upset about his Uncle Ben dying, and he eavesdrops on his Aunt May to find out that they can't even afford to pay rent. So to make money, he goes back into show business as Spider-Man, with a hyphen this time. Good old (laughs) Agent Maxi insists on paying him with a check, but damn if the bank won't cash it for him without some sort of spider identification. Then our favorite Hitler impersonator, J. Jonah Jameson, publisher of the Daily Bugle, begins writing and lecturing against Spider-Man, saying that his own son, astronaut John Jameson, is a real hero, and Spider-Man is a dangerous fraud. Somehow this finishes Spider-Man in show business. I'm pretty sure there's no way that one newspaper voice could have that kind of power today. But I guess this was 1962. Also, it's like Spider-Man's no hero and he's an outlaw and he's taken the law into his own hands. Unless we're going by those amazing fantasy uh, stories from the 90s, which we'll talk about later. All he's done is web up one criminal and the cops weren't even sure if it was him and be a wrestler. Right. How he was he on TV. Off? He was a wrestler, and he was a, a he webbed a candle on TV. <laughs> he webbed a candle, Jameson. It's what if children try and web candles, huh? So maybe Jameson was the Walter Cronkite of the Marvel Universe, and like everyone listened to everything he said. No, well, he's the Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> so uh, now Peter has to get a new job, which sucks, and it proves problematic because he can't do nothing except cool, sciencey high school stuff. 
<laughs> the next day, John Jameson is launched into space, where he becomes the man-wolf and terrorizes his family. And well, no, where he brings back the alien symbiote. Oh, wait, no. no. <laughs> That's all later. <laughs> Which actually wasn't even in the 616 universe. So the Jameson capsule separates from the rocket, but component 243B of the forward guidance package breaks loose. This is bad, because now Jameson can't control his capsule without his little package. The mission control tries to rescue the capsule, but that doesn't work. And Peter Parker had nothing better to do that day, so he's been watching all these shenanigans go down. So he decides to put on his TV circus suit and help out. Spider-Man volunteers to install a spare 24-3B unit that Mission Control has on hand just in case. Spider-Man hitches a ride with a jet pilot, shoots a web line at the passing capsule, and pulls himself to the nose cone where he installs the unit, saving John Jameson. Only... It's a lot more dramatic than that. There's like a cliffhanger between part two and three where he's on the capsule. But can he attach the missing unit in time? And later, thinking that even Jonah Jameson would now hire him, Peter is shocked to learn the publisher has demanded his arrest and prosecution, claiming Spider-Man sabotaged the mission because Jameson sucks. And eventually, even the FBI decides to listen to him and issues a reward for Spider-Man's capture. And the public comes to believe that he is a criminal leaving Peter to wonder what he can possibly do. And I have to say that if I were poor high school boy Peter Parker, who tried to save the astronaut dude and found his name in the paper wanted by the FBI, I would be more than a little freaked out and probably more than a little pissed. More than a little pissed. It's funny how you mentioned that this kind of picks up right after Amazing Fantasy 15, because it really does. But the problem is uh, they tried to do this thing in the 90s where they did publish like 16, 17, and I think 18 of Amazing Fantasy and it's kind of hard to fit it in there and they cut like they tried to do more things with spider-man in show business and they did have him fight some crooks which kind of works with what jonah's saying about him being an outlaw they actually have him meet jonah jameson for the first time and jonah thinks that spider-man is like stuck up and too good for the human race so that's kind of where his hatred comes from in those things but it doesn't really fit and john byrne even said when he did chapter one like you know no that stuff didn't happen i'm forgetting about it and if you read the beginning of this issue, it's kind of hard to fit it, because then, like, it's like, okay, if it's been weeks or months later, why is he all of a sudden going home and throwing his shirt against the wall saying, Uncle Ben is dead, and it's all my fault? And speaking of it all being his fault, he kind of glosses over that. He's like, I was too busy showing off, and then a burglar shot my Uncle Ben. It's a good thing I caught that burglar. If you didn't read Amazing Fantasy 15, you would not know that the burglar was the same burglar that he let get away or that he even let a burglar get away. It was kind of the whole point of Amazing Fantasy 15 is that yeah. he let the burglar get away who shot his uncle. Yeah. Not that he was showing off and he, being on television while his uncle was getting shot, but that he let the guy go. And if this is the morning after Uncle Ben died, holy heck, that is the worst landlord in the world. <laughs> I know your husband died last night, like got murdered right in front of your eyes, but... Uh... Where's my money, honey? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> rent! I want my rent. How it's, it's, are we gonna pay? It's Mr. Dickovich. <laughs> this like big Italian, like fat lint, stereotypical lint, which is funny because most other books seem to indicate that Aunt May owns the house. Maybe maybe they wind up buying it, or maybe, I don't know, something happens behind the scenes with inheritance. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If this is their house, 
Why is there? Why do they owe a rent? But you know, I don't own the house. I don't <laughs> and it, if this is right after Uncle Ben died, that landlord's a jerk, or maybe like he didn't know and he felt bad later. He's like, oh my, that that poor woman's husband died. I'm a jerk. So then he went home and he threw himself off of a bridge, and then <laughs> he left in his will, or he felt so bad about it that he gave Aunt May the house to keep, and that's why she owns it. Actually, there. what you didn't know is that Uncle Correct. Ben always welched on his bills, and he was already like two weeks behind on the rent when he dies. So he gives Anne May yeah. not not just the stack of bills, but the stack of late bills. He needed to disappear for a while. This whole burglar thing was a setup. He's not dead. He's he and the burglar set this whole thing up. He was supposed to rescue the burglar from the warehouse, but he took off. He's in Bermuda. Exactly, and then he comes back in two thousand two. <laughs> uh, you notice no Flash Thompson with the with the classmates in the yeah. Story. There, there's there's not. There's a Liz, but and there's a bunch of random people. Well, um, who no... we assume is Liz, a blonde classmate who's strong like Liz, who hasn't yeah. been named yet. There's a boy with an O sweater, so there's a lot of letters. Maybe that's Seymour O'Reilly. Really? <laughs> that's yeah. what Midtown High kids do. It's like Flash Thompson <laughs> came in. He's like, oh, cool. I'm going to wear a shirt with my last name on it. And then I was like, oh, my God, Seymour, you're such a dork. But Flash <laughs> doesn't. No, I know Seymour. that you worship the ground Flash walks on. but Okay. Now, I love how he says there's only one person to save John Jameson. Really? Only so not the Human Torch who can fly or, you know, Ant Man and any of them. Nobody yeah, really. The, well, I guess superheroes tend to get like absorbed like... in their own little world. Like <laughs> I'm the superhero of my book, so I'm the only one who can do this. Yeah, that's why I like when Spider Man's like, you know what? I'm gonna go out of town. The Fantastic Four can handle this, which is kind of what he did when um, he proposed to Mary Jane for the second time. This Spoiler is, um... alert: she says no. No, I was gonna say I found it that like, this whole issue it's kind of, it's kind of sensationalistic. You have them in the air solving like a, a NASA crisis, where I think the rest, of, most of pretty much all of the Spider-Man adventures after that are a little more low-key. Like you, you don't see him kind of doing like this. Like, he really, He's fighting like, aliens in the next issue, Donovan. They're not <laughs> aliens though. Besides yeah, that, the time they were. <laughs> He's fighting aliens. You can't get more high-key than. I don't, know, I don't know. I think it's like you know, like from going from starting a burglar to flying on top of us. I know, I know it was like '60s Marvel. They didn't care, but it's really kind of interesting. Like you know, he's still like 15 years old, so he could have like easily slipped off and died. So I like like Jameson's lecture in uh, on page five. Like he has this whole slideshow thing going on, and he he has actually gone through the trouble to make art of Spider-Man towering Godzilla style over the skyscrapers of New York City. It's PowerPoint, man. It's your friend. <laughs> you know, James is not not he's not as comical until Peter starts working for him. He's just kind of like a like a jerk, just yelling at him. He is a bit of a jerk. He actually is is a little more understandable and relatable and less psychotic about it in these in this first couple issues. Yeah, he's, he's, he's less he's less buffoonish. He's less less play, He's just more of an antagonist than a, than like a, like a character we we learn I mean, to know of. While this is the first appearance of Jameson, this is not the first appearance of the Daily Bugle. The Daily Bugle did appear in, uh, along with, I think, the Daily Globe in Fantastic Four, issue number two. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah this is the first appearance of both Jamesons, uh, J. Jonah and his son, John. Although J. Jonah's first name is John, too. Well, you know. there's another J. Jonah Jameson, but we meet him years later. Yeah, like... So, so, does, so does Aunt May. Yeah. Boy, no... Boy, did they... now, now she knows him. Oh yeah, I told my we were telling my sister about that scene, me and Donovan, and she's like, "What? How did that get past the planning room floor? Who approved?" <laughs> um, John Jameson, first person that uh, in publishing history, you know, I know that they do all these retcons and untold tales, but first person that we ever see Spider-Man save. Oh yeah. True. True. Yeah. 
he doesn't he doesn't get the word in edgewise because usually he's always kind of protective or he kind of defends Spider-Man. This one he just is the victim. Yeah, he does. He he is a big defender of during the George Stacy days. John Jameson's a big proponent of Spider-Man. Until he gets hopped up on magic mushrooms and 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 ruby neck pieces. Yeah, Yeah. and Mary's She-Hulk. There's that. (laughs) There's a lot of crap that happens in the future. Oh, John Jameson, the journey that you will go on. He's just like all these different places. No, I thought that I thought that there was really this this is so much like like a continuing companion to a AF. 15 because it really uh, by the end it really hits you home how messed up Peter's life is like he tried this time he tried to do the right thing he and he did do the right thing but everybody he he's he's worse off than he started by the end of AF 15 because everybody like you know is out for him even his aunt May says he's horrible and he's right. just wondering what is he going to do I thought that was really well done like what could he possibly do because the F I mean this whole FBI thing is left behind as soon as it's printed they they forget it's about Spider-Man, it murderer criminal douchebag one of the FBI but oh, uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the whole look of worry on Peter's face at the bottom of that last page of the first story is I mean you totally get it it's like what can he possibly do right. And I, yeah. this, this this occurred to me, I, I forget what I was reading, but it just like dawned on my head that like, you know, as fans, as comic book readers, as moviegoers, we all like Spider-Man, Spider-Man's cool. But if you lived in the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man is the last superhero you would ever want to swing into your window to save you. He is the freakiest, scariest, most suspicious guy on the planet. Yeah, and he's allegedly done all this stuff. And I think that the reason why everyone believes Jonah Jameson, too, is that you got to, at this point, you know, mass media and newspapers, if, you know, if the newspapers were against you, there really wasn't that many voices in your favor. It was a lot easier to influence people through the media than it is now. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because TV news, being such a young medium at the time, was really, really influential in people's thinking. Yeah. Extra, John Jameson, son of the publisher of the Daily Bugle, about to orbit Earth. Extra, it's all his fault. Because of him, I can't perform in public as the Spider-Man. But I can't give up. I've got to earn more money somehow. I can't let Aunt May down, even if it means Spider-Man will again stalk the city by night. As he's pounding the brick wall. Now keep in mind, these are not thought balloons. He's saying this out loud. While he's pounding on a brick wall, and he's right next to the newspaper vent. Yeah, the news guy's like looking at him. <laughs> dude, what, dude? Why aren't your hands bleeding? Yeah. What do you mean, Spider-Man will stalk the city again by night? Are you trying to get attention by saying that you're Spider-Man? This guy's trying to get attention. Look at the sweater vest. He's trying to. <laughs> <laughs> and Aunt May with her little like flower hat. <laughs> She's like. Look, she looks really happy to be getting rid of that jewelry, by the way. Peter's like, oh, no. Aunt May loves that jewelry. She's getting well, she's rid of it. She's sharing the she's money that she's this, happy about. She's just got this big smile on her face. She's like, haha, Peter doesn't know I pawned his microscope. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a jewelry, jewelry at the time. I thought that um, Peter like, knocked the wall over when he was like, slamming on it. But you would I think, guess, right? Like if he had... Yeah, if he was really upset, he would, he would usually like, just like, bowl over it. But As somebody who has hit brick walls while they're upset, you have to either restrain yourself because you're going to hurt your hand or in Peter's case restrain yourself because you're going to hurt the wall but you can't just hit a brick wall full throttle no matter who you are and you can't say I can't become Spider-Man now in like in public in the middle of the street you know he's not in (laughs) I mean in these early issues he talks out loud a lot he does it all over Amazing Fantasy 15 to the point where he narrates his every move like I just crushed that pipe I'm narrating my every move 
I'm losing my grip. I'm... So I'm pretty sure that J. Jonah Jameson has a kind of personality where he was like a, a child abuser, a father. So like Aww. he's he's walking his kid out to the uh, platform. He's like, this is it, John. Make your country proud of you, son. As proud as I, your father, am today. I'll do my best, Dad. I promise. And like when the capsule like broke, he's like, oh, no, I'm oh. going to get it. I'm going to get it for this. <laughs> Dad, it was Spider-Man's fault. He sabotaged it. Please don't hit me with the Sunday Bugle edition. <laughs> Child abuse is not funny. It's a very serious thing. People. No, no, no. Yes. Uh... It's only funny when it's happening in the Man-Wolf, a.k.a. Captain Jupiter or Colonel Jupiter or whatever. Is, is that the name he takes at some point? Colonel Jupiter? Yeah. In the cartoon he did. I didn't see that. I know it was Man-Wolf and um, Star God. Is that what oh they call it? Oh, God, him? that was so stupid. When, what like, they, that? you know, Man Wolf kind of had his own feature and a title for a while. Right, Creatures on like, the Loose. Yeah, and, like, he was intelligent and he could talk and. And then it got canceled before they could actually do the Star God thing. But they liked the Star God idea so well that, like, three or four years later, they did a two parter in Marvel premiere or something where they finally got to do the Star God. Oh, John Jameson, the journey that you will go on. <laughs> you have no idea what's in store for you. You're going to become a wolf, marry a giant green woman. and I'm all about marrying the giant green woman, though. Orion Slave Girl. Yeah. So that whole thing about um, even Mr. Jameson would hire me now. Yeah, because that's kind of funny. The idea of J. Jonah Jameson ever hiring Peter Parker. That's a laugh. That's a laugh. That's never going to happen. Not even oh, the next so issue. Not two when months later. If, no. you were, if you were in this situation, you would think the same thing. So I, th- I think the next panel is like, you know, it is a kind of surprise, you know, once it came out. You know, Go. the papers demand that he's arrested and prosecuted. You're like, what? Seriously? Oh, come on. <laughs> it is impossible. Why? Why? <laughs> okay, do we have anything else of, on this, uh, this first story? We've made fun of it pretty much from every angle. Well, the fact uh, when the classmates invite him to go see the Spider-Man show, he's kind of like, oh, I got something to do. It's funny because um, Flash Thompson later talks about to Peter years later that the reason why everyone picked on Peter so much is that they felt that he kind of always acted standoffish like he was too good for him. They play and, that up in the college days. I, mean, I, I didn't know they retconned it for the high school days, but they did play yeah. that up in the, in the remedial. That, that, that was supposed to in the college days. Yeah, it, it was explicit in the college days, but in the high school, like, you know, Flash later reveals it, and that, like, he even feels that, like, you know, Liz was throwing herself at Peter, and Peter was being rude to her, which, you know... Kind of is true. That that makes sense for the later issues, when Liz actually liked Peter, you know, but, you know, that's that'll come later. As, uh, as much as I like Spider-Man, I like reading it, I like the adventures, I like Peter, Peter is very often a not-nice guy. Well, I think, I think he's very inadvertently not a nice guy. I don't it's, like he does, it's like he doesn't have the social skills. Yeah, yeah, he's so focused on Aunt May or whatever's going on, and which is what happened in the college days. And it's funny because he kind of finished college the same way he started. Like in early in the college days, you know, Aunt May was in the hospital, and so he was worried about her, and he blew everyone off, and they all thought he was a jerk. And around the time when he was graduating college – it was the same thing. Ame was in the hospital, and like Harry Osborne and everyone else were like, Peter, you missed your... Well, no, you know what? Because that was when Ame was in the nursing home. She supposedly died like the next issue. So, But like, yeah, he missed his graduation party because he was tied to Jameson. Right. Bomb. I remember that. Yeah. He didn't graduate. He graduated. Yeah, well, that was when he graduated, when they mailed him his diploma. 
Okay, so then we have Spider-Man versus the Chameleon. I have to say that's an awesome splash page. Yeah, with the Fantastic Four just like looking up like their statues. Oh. That's a really I don't like the Fantastic Four there, but the whole Chameleon like towering over New York and Spider-Man, who now has much larger lenses, I notice compared to what we were just looking they're at. This is Spidey's first honest-to-goodness supervillain fight, although the Chameleon doesn't really have superpowers. At least this version of him doesn't seem to have any superpowers. He like actually turns into a, like a shapeshifter later, doesn't he? Yeah. They recently in, uh, brought him back to basics in uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man in a Fred Van Linte story. So we start with Peter Palmer. Yes, Palmer. Yeah, your, your, your version has been edited. It's Peter Palmer throughout this uh, second story. Yeah. With, like, Bob a, Banner. A fan wrote in, like, in one of the future issues, like, I'm confused, is it Peter Parker or Peter Palmer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Peter gets the awesomest idea for a job. He decides to join the Fantastic Four. Because it's genius. But he can't get into their penthouse offices the normal way, so he decides to make a great first impression by breaking into the Baxter building. Oh, yes. And, of course, the Fantastic Four don't like this, and he ends up fighting all four of them one at a time to prove his worth, only to be told by the FF that they are a non-profit organization that offers no salaries. So, all that for nothing. And when one of them makes a crack about being wanted by the police, Spidey makes a sad, quick exit. Meanwhile, across town, the Chameleon, who is not only a master of disguise, but also a spy... Dun-dun-dun. And a comedy... The chameleon impersonates, yeah, a commie spy. He Does it uh, say buddy in your version, by the way? Buddy? Uh, in some of the reprints, when Spider-Man says, end of the line, commie, they change it to end of the line, buddy. Yes. Do you have buddy or commie? I have commie. Okay. Some versions say buddy, like Marvel Tales, and, which, is, <laughs> which makes the whole story fall apart, because it's like, why is he stealing country secrets? Exactly. Like, if you don't pay attention to the little uh, hammer and sickle on the submarine... Then you have no clue what's going on. That may be edited out too. I'm not sure, but well, lots of it. It was all about communists. If you read the early Fantastic Four issues too, they're like, we have to get to the moon before the Reds do. And Thor was a defender of democracy. Yeah. The chameleon impersonates Professor Newton, a defense scientist, and steals some plans for his friends on the other side of the Iron Curtain. Hearing of Spider-Man's FF visit, he deduces the web slinger is desperate for money. This is not a leap in logic at all, but we'll let it slide for now. And so Chameleon sets Spider-Man up by broadcasting a message attuned to Peter's spider sense, which we've also never heard about. He offers a profitable venture over his little message, but then hey, he steals missile... spider p- sense was mentioned a few pages earlier in the Fantastic Four fight. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. When he's fighting the invisible girl. Oh. That was, that was the first mention of it, too. But then he, uh, the chameleon steals missile plans disguised as Spider-Man because he's a jerk, and the wall crawler arrives at a rendezvous just as the chameleon escapes, leaving Spider-Man to take the fall for the robbery. Escaping, Spider-Man tracks down the chameleon, prevents the sale of the special missile plans, and turns him over to the police for being a dirty spy. Now, this would be a great ending, except we still have two more pages. So the chameleon breaks free, disguises himself as a police officer, and convinces the other police that Spidey is the chameleon. So Spider-Man runs away, but in the process, he unknowingly rips the chameleon's police uniform, revealing his Spider-Man outfit underneath. The police take the chameleon away, but a poor, sobbing Spidey is unaware of his victory. Um, A.K.A. he runs off crying. He does run off crying. (laughs) Which is hilarious, because you don't see lots of stories where a superhero runs (laughs) off. That is pretty cool. Uh, This is the first appearance for the... This is my blog. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is the first appearance of the Chameleon, but we don't get a name or origin for him here, and I don't think we actually get either of those until the 1990s sometime. So. It's, um, it's uh, Dmitry Smirnikov. He's actually Craven's brother, right? Yeah, half-brother. Yeah. We don't know about that, though, until after Craven dies, right? Yeah. Craven dies? Wait, who's Craven? Who's Craven? What, what the... F- <laughs> this is 1963. <laughs> or actually, no, we're still in 1962. It's just a 1963 publishing, right? Right, yeah, we're still in uh, October, I think. Yeah. I can't wait till the Beatles come next year. That's going to be awesome. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sure that we're, we're in the non-segregated part where we can talk to each other. Yeah, this is actually- oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh! Why, why, why? Yeah, but yeah, we find out he was Craven's brother in uh, the Luke Ross, uh, John Mark DiMatteis run of Spectacular Spider-Man post-Clone Saga. Okay, yeah. There's so much of that that I haven't read, that I've read about, so I'm not sure exactly when it all happens. We knew that the Chameleon and Craven were friends prior to that, and that right. they were like childhood friends, but the extent of it was did discovered. We, did we even know childhood friends? Because I haven't read that yet. Well, yeah, that's, like, kind of revealed, you know, uh, and that's one of the reasons, uh, like, stuff was going on in Craven's house uh, with Chameleon after he did the Peter Parker parents thing. Um, and you know that they were old friends when they first meet, but Chameleon doesn't actually know that he's Craven's brother until uh, that issue is spectacular. Like, he realizes it for the first time. Oh, okay, so we learn it with him. It's actually funny because later on, um, Paul Jenkins did a story in Web Spinners where he's on the Brooklyn Bridge with Peter. And oh, they're kind I, love of, I love that story. Yeah, and where he tells Peter that he loves him and then he commits suicide, uh, but he doesn't actually commit suicide, but he kind of does, whatever. He remembers their first encounter and he's like, I remember it. You tore from my helicopter and you called me a commie. You called me a commie. Why would you call me a commie? <laughs> <laughs> Which I love how they did that. So the first panel here, I didn't realize this till just now. The reason he gets the idea of joining the Fantastic Four is because he's reading a stupid Fantastic Four comic book. I always got the impression that it, that it was like a magazine or something, like a People magazine or whatever. Well, in the Fantastic Four comic, they talk about the fact they make comics about him. Yeah. So I'm guessing he's reading a Fantastic Four comic. That wouldn't be a... See, it looks really big to be a comic. Like, it's bigger than his chest. It's like a a, a giant flower or something. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those Marvel Treasury editions. um, Well, you know, Silver Age comics were bigger than modern-day comics, right? Yeah. I think that uh, John Duffy, who was like, you know... In the early days, he gave you about Sam Rosen, Art Simonick, and um, those guys are the classic letterers. John Duffy kind of makes this... I know it's kind of weird talking talk about lettering and combo because it's the least interesting, but these letters are so kind of like matter of fact they kind of just typeface. It's not, yeah. it's not really interesting when you get to like the Rosen issues where they're they're more bombastic. John Duffy also likes his uh, non-standard caption boxes. Like these are all squiggly bordered here, and then in Amazing Spider-Man three, they're all sorts of funky shapes. They're not yeah. just rectangles. So how does? Ben Grimm, first of all, who says, you must got rock for brains. It's like, dude, if anyone has rock for brains, it's you. You're made of frickin' rock. But <laughs> I digress. He's like, he must, he's a cornball teenager like the torch. Which is one know. of the things in these early issues. Like, everyone seems to know that Spider-Man's a teenager. It's probably because he's always, like, running away and crying like a little girl and throwing tantrums, but... It's entirely possible that that was part of his shtick on the Maxi Schiffman show, uh, is that he was, you know, the, the teenage wonder boy uh, with the spider powers. That That's possible that may have been what it was. You know, I, I disagree with that only because there's so many stories where Spider-Man's like, 
oh, if they only knew I was, you know, so-and-so age. And, like, there's so many stories, like, where if he imagines Jonah Jameson, like, knowing his identity is, well, but it's Spider-Man. He's, he actually turns out to be a teenager, so... Oh, yeah, that was, like, one of the big things is whenever uh, he unmasks after Civil War and Doc Octopus comes after him and either Sensational or Friendly, I forget which one, he's like, Friendly. And he was a kid! You beat me and you were a kid! Oh, no, it was Sensational. Yeah, you're right. Um, so. Yeah. Which is funny because he unmasks him, spoiler alert. <laughs> right, but that was supposed to be a whole, you know, blown-off thing. Like, that wasn't the real Spider-Man. But yeah, it adds extra irony to the situation later. Yeah, because irony has never been a big part of Spider-Man, and they <laughs> never hit, and they never hit you over the head with irony, which, which they still do now. But yeah, it's ha ha ha, get it, guys, get it, guys. I'm making money by taking pictures of myself, but wait a minute, here's the catch. I'm selling them to a guy that hates me, but wait, there's more. The pictures that I'm selling to this guy are being used to defraud me. Yeah. <laughs> So wait a minute, wait a minute. Flash Thompson is Spider-Man's biggest fan? <laughs> but, but he yeah. hates Peter Parker? <laughs> what? This, this is ridiculous. That's that's not how things work. And I don't know if this counts, but the Fantastic Four are Marvel's lead title, and Spider-Man takes them out in about a page. Because that's how he rolls. That's how no, he rolls. The four it's like he knocks them out. Say again? Just a little bit. Like, I, I mean, I know they, they have a good point, but they kind of seem like like a little dickish or a little jerkish in this issue. Just like just attacking him and beating him up. When he, did, he didn't attack him first. He, he broke in, but like he, wants, he said he wanted to talk to him. They kind of just like the thing hauls up and punches him. Yeah, the, the yeah. thing sort of starts it all off, but then it sort of escalates from there. I mean, the glass cage falls. He opens it up, and Reed Richards starts to stress that he's going to break it. So Thane decides to lean on him a little bit too much, and he throws the thing into the torch. So Reed has to calm him down. It just escalates, and it's it's all kind of um, – it's your classic misunderstanding battle where – It's a classic Marvel fight. It's the first hero. mention of his spider sense, too, which is called his spider instinct. They never really explain how his spider sense works. The best example that was given in these early days is that they compare it to, like, how a spider is aware of everything that goes on on its wet, like, by feeling the vibrations. Okay. That, but, like, <laughs> it's – later on in the story, he's like, I'm going to tune my spider sense to find the helicopter – well, like, I, I, I read that, and I, I can buy that just because, like, you know, it showed when he concentrates, he can sense things. Yeah. What I didn't buy was Chameleon Mules to tune in into it. <laughs> Which yeah, when, once you turn his spider sense frequency. into a radio frequency transceiver, then I have issues. Well, he tunes mm-hmm. his spider sense, to, and his spider sense, the way it works, varies from issue to issue, including... And it's always contradicted, and, like, to the point... You'll get where, a new writer, and he'll have his own rules on how the spider sense works. Like, he knew that Mary Jane was behind his door in his apartment because of his spider sense in issue 149. But he, but but then, like, the previous issue, Professor Warren said that his spider sense didn't detect him because he was pretending to be his friend. Right. There, there was the game War story where um, he was um, killed hostage by Hammerhead. He could use his spider sense to tell he was on the other side of the phone. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's the thing about Spider-Sense. I, I never want it to be explained. I, I, I like it being ambiguous and different from issue to issue. It's midichlorians, dude. Oh, and there's Star Wars reference number. Well, So but, you guys have read um, early Phantom 4. What do you think about Steve Dicko drawing the 4? Does it work for you or does it? 
mesh well? Or does it I matter? don't really mind it so much. I do think that whenever they redo this story in Fantastic Four Annual, that the thing definitely looks better. Well, this is how the thing looked in early issues of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, You'll notice well. that his rocky form kind of, you know, right. blocks the, out it, over did, time. I think King, I think Kirby had already started to modify it, and Ditko was using an older version or something like that. In any yeah. case, fans reacted very strongly against Ditko's rendition of the Fantastic Four here. Um, so they, they did their revamp of this story later on. What's up with the chameleon's face? Is this his face, or is he wearing a mask over a mask? He's wearing a mask is, over a mask. Yeah, we never ever see his real face, or I don't think we have. But we do know that this this mannequin look that he has going on is actually a mask over his face. Yeah, it's a mask. That's not, that's not his real face. Well, Dude. you never know. I mean, I just, I, the chameleon, for being his number one issue villain, is not used very much. And I haven't read that many stories. You know, there aren't that many stories that haven't been the 60s, 70s, and 80s. For a while, the chameleon was appearing in Hull. Uh, I think after the Craven story, the chameleon didn't appear till like somewhere in the 70s or 80s of Spider-Man. I could be wrong here. He wasn't in the Sinister Six, right? Someone will sure. have to pull up a, a, a someone's going to have to pull up a chameleon appearance list. But I'm pretty sure that yeah, it was like you know, after uh, he appeared in the '80s issues because he, he did the whole George Stacy storyline, but that was one issue. Yeah, and he, he and he shows up once again like. Well, that's Spider-Man what I meant when I said 70s and 80s issues. That I meant like yeah. issues 70s and 80s, not like the decade 70s and 80s. And then I don't think he's again until like the 180s whenever there's an issue where Spider-Man gets cleared of all charges and the chameleon shows up for one issue to give him some crap. That and that's when he actually he has, has like prefer. shape-shifting powers yeah. and a really terrible multicolored costume. <laughs> the chameleon and his amazing Technicolor coat. Yeah, exactly. What else we got? We have a chameleon using a spider web gun. <laughs> which, which is, is awesome. so weird, which is so but i guess spider-man hasn't been around long enough so nobody you know notices right that hey that's not web shooters although maybe peter parker isn't so brilliant after all if like if even the chameleon can develop a web gun that's something i always remember like from ultimate spider-man where the guy who was impersonating him from volume five like there's no explanation he just knows how to make a web shooter because it was like yeah you would expect them to explain where he got the stupid web shooter but they don't yeah, for some reason I didn't mind it because it, it was more realistic that it was that anybody could make it than just just Spider-Man in that version. So, at least oh, in that in that oh, universe, oh, webs are not hard to make. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you, Josh. Yeah, I know. That's the expo- It's it's magic. I like how well, Spider-Man. I, mean, I just I just explain it's science. Like Reed Reed says on page uh, whatever. He says we play no science performances. Any profit we make goes into scientific research for science. For science. Yeah, like that $1,000 tube that he complained about Spider-Man breaking. Well, he All has right. to make a, a stupid new invention every single story. So second, that's what... second to last page of the issue, last panel, we have something happening for the first time. Out of web fluid. Yeah. Oh, yes. First time and, out of web fluid. And, he does, he doesn't, and we'll get to the next issue, but he doesn't even refill until the next, he forgets to refill. And he does his first web parachute and his first web slingshot, too. They're actually kind of getting creative here. I kind of like this. Yeah, I just love... And I love how the Fantastic Four are like, yup, maybe he's going to grow up and become a villain. <laughs> Which is totally <laughs> what we're saying. Not. Like, he totally could. That was um, a bit of a, I wanted to mention for the, from the first issue is that you see him... Like, you see a panel of him in the speedboat, and then the first issue, you see, like, he's he had a guy help him in a jet, but you don't actually see it. It's just kind of narrated. So I was, I was wondering if that's the thing that Dicko randomly put in there and Stanley had to go, oh, crap, how do I explain away this? Or that was in the script. It is, it is kind of funny because it's kind of randomly see him get on, the, on these vehicles. 
Well, Are you someone, the, else, someone else flew the jet, though. In they, the John yeah. Jameson story? Yeah, because yeah. I was wondering, because he, like, he webs the guy, and like that guy can't fly because he's stuck in webs for the next hour. <laughs> but when the chameleon is dressed as Spidey and he's running up the stairs, he's, t- he's carrying his uh, mask vest with him. I thought it was just a nice little continuity touch. Like, he has to keep his, like, sort of like Ultimate Spidey wearing a backpack all the time to keep his clothes with him. He has to carry his stuff, even though he's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's a, it's really, I didn't even realize as a kid the whole communist thing because I didn't have that awareness of the world. It's not that blatant. It is said. It's there. You can read it. But it's not rubbed in your face that the, well, the that guy says Spider-Man a traitor, and of course when you're reading that you're thinking, oh yeah, he's a traitor because you know he's a hero, but he's a villain. But no, they mean like traitor to the country, right? And I actually got the impression that the Chameleon was an American working for the communists until I found out later that he was actually Russian himself. Yeah, and that's that's understandable. They don't they don't come to his Russian roots until way later. Um, he's much more of a mystery man in these early days. The chameleon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know nothing about him. Come, 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 come. Oh, I just listened to that issue. Uh, I don't know if y'all listen to the Super Future Friends, but they did a episode where they used that as their intro and outro song because the uh, story they were talking about featured Chameleon Boy. The whole FBI thing at the end of the first story, that's when I, when I was saying it was forgotten about as soon as it was printed, because here he is with the police, like walking amongst the police trying to find the chameleon. They're not cuffing him. They're not trying to apprehend him or keep him hostage while they or keep him you know in custody while they go and find the chameleon they just let him walk around so well, I, J, J. Jonah Jameson has a really big imagination maybe <laughs> printed that in his in his paper without actually the FBI actually saying that or maybe like the FBI were like yeah we'll get on it oh you hear that he's wanted they'll get like they just wanted to shut him up there. We'll, get, like, we'll get on they're just trying to get him off the phone and that's, they, that's they tell us that's the most that would happen actually yeah that actually sounds really really Jameson right there so yeah Good issue. Uh, yeah, I, I like this. Yeah. I, I like I like both the endings where you have, you have Peter really in a bad place and it's like just continuing that theme of, you know, all oh, this sounds great, but when you actually put it in reality, it's not going to turn out so good. So I like it. Yeah, this there, guy's gonna have a nervous breakdown. There is By a the personal way. message from Spider-Man um, between pages here. You probably don't have it, Donovan, where he's inviting mm-hmm. kids to write letters, and the picture of Spider-Man there is not great. I'm having a hard time placing my finger on exactly what's wrong with it, but it's really pretty terrible. Probably not drawn by Dicka. The chameleon will later be defeated by both Aunt May and Mary Jane separately. Really? (laughs) Mary Jane will beat him with a baseball bat after he tries to rape her, and Aunt May will feed him poisonous cookies. No, not poisonous cookies, but she'll put sleeping pills in his cookies. Nice. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. So the chameleons, the chameleon not only gets beaten by Spider-Man later, but like just by various members of his family. He's two most close, the closest female members of his, of his immediate. It's family. funny too, because like when chameleon, you know, comes home as uh, Peter to Mary Jane, and he's like, "Man, the chameleon was so hard to defeat, Mary Jane. I mean, he is my toughest foe." So Mary Jane <laughs> knows. So Mary Jane knows that he's like full of, you know, C A R P P. Carp? I don't. Well, <laughs> he's full of fish. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's twelve thirty in the morning. No, it's so. okay. Okay, well and let's I try uh, not let's number two. One. Issue two was released on February twelfth, nineteen sixty three, with a cover date of May. This is the first cover to have Steve Ditko handling all the art chores, where he will remain, with only one exception, until issue thirty eight. 
It's also the first cover to sport the Marvel Comics group logo with the Spidey face on the top left corner. The first story is called Duel to the Death with the Vulture. The Vulture is terrorizing New York City. New York City! And uh, Daily Bugle publisher J. Jonah Jameson demands photos for his Now magazine. Learning that Vulture photos will be worth a fortune, Peter Parker asks Aunt May for a camera. She gives him Uncle Ben's. And soon after, the Vulture publicly announces his intent to steal the Park Avenue Jewelry Exchange's diamond transfer. Spider-Man encounters him, but is so busy snapping pictures, he alerts the Vulture, who circles behind, stunning him and dropping him in a water tower. (laughs) Not a burning silo, because that's going to be used later. Awakened by the cold water, Spider-Man discovers his web shooter's empty and must dive to the bottom and propel himself up to escape, which is actually kind of awesome. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. Back home, Peter develops his photos and whips up an anti-magnetic inverter out of his butt to counter what he suspects is the Vulture's magnetic-produced power. I like how he suspects this is what's causing it, and so he just like happens to land upon the exact reason the first try. As you do. As you do. He sells the pictures to J. Jonah Jameson under the condition that he never asks how he managed them. With police guarding against an air attack, the Vulture emerges from a manhole to steal the jewelry escaping through subway tunnels. However, Spider-Man arrives and uses his inverter, grounding the vulture, and Peter sells the photos to Jameson and pays Aunt May's rent for a year. Oh, yes. First appearances, uh, JJ's secretary gets a name later, Eleanor Brandt. I don't know if she shows up later, but she gets a name later. That's never been confirmed that that's Eleanor Brandt. Uh, uh, Really? um, Betty Brandt's mother, yeah. There's some people that have speculated that. She looks more like a receptionist for the building, like, and not right. J. Jonah Jameson's personal secretary. And her hair color, it, it's never been confirmed, to my knowledge, unless, like, you have a source book or something that, you know, just went ahead and bit the bullet and said, you know what, F it, it's Betty Brandt's mother. Yeah, it and says here that she, uh, her next appearance is Untold Tales number 12, and her full name is revealed in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man from 2007. What are you reading that from, a website or a... The official index of the Marvel Universe. Well, it's the official index, so they decided that it's Betty Brant's mom. I guess it's Betty Brant's <laughs> mom. They're, they're the official... Because in- it's been speculated, but the thing is, like, I don't think not enough time has passed between this and when we see Betty Brant in the Sandman story for uh, Betty to become the secretary. Because if you read the Untold Tales story, it mm-hmm. looks like, you know, some, some time had passed between Betty's mom being the secretary and Betty being the secretary, which it's a really good story, by the way. And it's like, you see a very human side of Jonah. Like, Betty just... It's funny, Betty just like shows up i think it's to collect her mom's last paycheck or something and another secretary has just quit because you know jonah's being jonah so betty just sits down and starts doing work all afternoon (laughs) and then like jonah like it takes jonah like half the day to like realize wait a second you're not the girl from the agency it's like no i'm miss brant's daughter and he's like miss brant's daughter then you're practically family you're gonna get taken care of here blah 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 that's pretty sweet (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned that it's hard to tell how much time has passed. These The books are bi-monthly. Yeah, at this, at point. this point they are. And yeah. in issue three, he makes a comment at the beginning about how he's run out of bad guys to fight. And that sort of gives yeah. the impression that he's been doing this for a while now, as opposed to just, you know, three bad guys he's fought. By the way, how vain is J. Jonah Jameson where the Now Magazine building, J. Jonah Jameson's name is bigger than the Now Magazine <laughs> logo. And who does that? Who puts the name on, like, the building? Like, publish... J. Jonah Jameson? (laughs) 
I could see that. Speaking of unconfirmed first appearances, do you think the Joe that is mentioned is Joe Robertson? No, yeah, that's what I thought. Joe Robertson doesn't work at the Bugle until much later. Well, he be, he's made editor later, but was he hired on from the outside or did he move up? I was yeah, under yeah, the impression that he was hired on from the outside. What were you saying, Don? Well, I, I remember when, when Robertson first appeared, they didn't say he was like new. They just said, well, this is the, the editor. The inside. It was kind of like, like Jim Rhodes. Like, he just happens to be here, but like... He's been there the whole time. Peter hadn't I, known him until that point. Yeah, Peter and yeah. other people. He was being introduced to like he was introduced to John Jameson, and twice. I would think that if he was someone that yeah, twice actually. <laughs> that was the Spider Jeopardy question when I was on Crawl. Oh, he got, he met Joe twice. Like the writer forgot. Yeah, the writer. Yeah, the writer forgot. I was under the impression for various reasons that Joe was new, and I think that if he would have been working at the Bugle and like known Jonah for a while, he wouldn't have been meeting John for the first time. And in fact, when he's like meeting Spider-Man and everything, and he's like, "Spider-Man knows my name," it's all like he's new to all of this, and he's new to all these people. On the other hand, if you have a busy newspaper and you know dozens of people running around, would you necessarily introduce your son to everyone who worked for them unless they were in a position of importance? Yeah, but it's yeah, Joe, I mean, and if he was on the easy. track to becoming City Ed, I'm definitely under the impression that he was new, and we're going to get to those issues eventually. Okay, uh, it doesn't really matter because it, it, it yeah. can't confirm it. Either. Well, look, hey, you know, this is your homework, listeners. If there's people who want to write in or email or whatever, just uh, which we don't have the email address set up oh, as of this point. Is Joe Robertson new? Support or deny that? Go. Go. The winner will now, get the, a um, yes prize. How do you guys feel about the Vulture? Is this his first appearance? Vulture's first appearance. We don't get a name or an origin until the 80s. Yep, Roger Stern. I don't I say that because I, I mentioned this on the Spectacular Webs. I really don't like the Vulture just because he's an annoying old guy who runs around yelling and Robs jewelry stores. I, I just think like he's just like like the most. Spider-Man could just like knock him out and like throw him and get in jail. He's he should not pose that much of a threat. And he's introduced here as like a really dangerous villain. I actually kind of find it funny when he pops out the manhole like yoink and steals the the, the diamond transverse. But I was I was just wondering like what you guys thought of him just because I, I I don't. He's a, he's a one of my more my least favorite Spider-Man villains. And I then, never was too enthused about him either way. The only story of his that I really loved was the John Mark DiMatteis story where he apologizes to Aunt May for killing her fiancé. Oh, yeah. I, I'm guessing the Vulture was introduced as old because Vultures have the whole hunched-over look thing going on. I'm not a big fan of him as a villain in general, but I will say his second appearance, with a, I think is issue 7, is one of my favorites of these early issues. Uh, I think that the, the battle between him and how it goes through all the, the publishing rooms and everything else is, is a really cool battle scene. You say that you like him as a villain. You know that he became a hero for a little while. Really? We will not talk about the tra- travesty that was Get Craven. Unfortunately, oh, if we last that long, we will. <laughs> Josh is not doing that episode. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. I like to rip apart books. And this is also the first appearance of uh, Now Magazine, which which has gone by the wayside, certainly, in favor of the more popular yeah, It really didn't last brought- that long. They brought it back in the 80s for a little while, but then they kind of forgot about it again. And then they brought in Kate Cushing as Joe Robertson's replacement because Joe Robertson got promoted from city editor to editor-in-chief. So Kate Cushing became the city editor, and she was kind of running Now Magazine as well, and she was always stricter with Peter. In the 70s, when Ms. Marvel series started, she worked for the Daily Bugle doing a women's magazine. I seem to remember the conversation between her and... Jameson being along the lines of, I used to do a magazine in addition to the newspaper, and I want to start doing one again with women's issues because that's all the rage now. Can you write one? 
Oh yeah, that's dated. <laughs> I think he wanted her to write more like better housekeeping, you know, cooking type of magazine, and she went women's live on him, and Joe Robertson kept Jameson from exploding. But I, it, it's been a while since I've read those issues, so I could be totally off. I read them because Mary Jane and Peter were in them for like two seconds each for the first three issues. That makes sense. I'm looking through the art on this as we're talking, and I love like the crowd scenes, watching the vulture, the faces. I love Ditko's faces, just the people that he draws. Speaking about art, I I think this is that because this is a, this is a year, at least a year after Amazing Fantasy 15 came out, right? Close to it, if not if not quite that year. Yeah, I, I think Ditko's really like gotten better. I think this issue mainly is like there there's some really good examples of art, like on page 11, the the like the top right panel. Where Spider-Man's kind of like posing, um, you know, trying to see use his spider sense. I thought that's a really cool p- panel. Um, I like the I like the shot where he's like holding on the, the Vulture's leg, and we'll get into like 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 the the, the Tinkerer story. But there's some really really cool start, shots of a uh, Spider-Man and Peter, Peter Parker. And I think the art's like really getting rapidly better as it went along. Since Amazing Fantasy 15, he's really definitely getting a handle for the physiology of Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. And how he, he, he's so agile that he will carry himself differently. Yeah, like the body language. Right. And just w- when you zoom in on the vulture's face, uh, the way he draws the vulture's face is just awesome. It's just, you know, it's such a crotchety old man. But, um, but yeah, I, I really like the art in here. You're right. And he's, he's drawing Peter more athletic, too. Uh, Peter's never huge, but he's, he's drawing him, like, athletic, but still under his, like, uh, cl- classroom clothes. Right. You know, he, See, you, can, you can see the realism in it. I, I guess all the web swinging it gives. He and he even talked talks about <laughs> future issues that it's actually the web swinging that gives him exercise and stuff. So by this point, he's been doing it a lot. So you can yeah, guess he's been bulking up. The first uh, the first Spider Man I bought that Powerless trilogy, an amazing three forty one two and three. I think he's you know frisbeeing with Flash in the park and he's all you know ripped and he's like I guess all that time as Spider Man really helped just you know build my normal agility. We do have the first sale of photos to J. Jonah, and he's not the cheapskate that he becomes later. He's the idiot he comes later because he's like, yeah, yeah, how do you get these? Oh, you know, you know our deal. You don't ask, and you'll get the pictures. Okay. Like, that's the sleaziest thing you could ever do to, to make a living for yourself. And you just... Well, it's even sleazier because he later hires somebody to tell Peter to find out how he takes the pictures. And then he gets, <laughs> and then he, and like, because he's so determined to find out, but then he gets distracted, like, oh, well, onto the scorpion thing. Forget about Peter. So, putting yeah. Jameson more in the box that we know of him later, what if he gives full market value for these photos the first time just to rope in Peter and then, like, starts lowering the price as they go along? Like, that's part of his plan with every one of his freelance photogs is like he that's pays him full price did. for the first go and then the next one's going to cost you well that's got to be what he did because uh if he's able to pay for a full year of rent with uh and one set of photos he wouldn't be yeah he wouldn't be always as broke as he is and that's how they bought the house like he paid the rent for a year and she took her jewelry money and bought the house and, well, like, they, yeah. they always spend it all the time they don't ever save and then, so yeah and then that landlord came back, and he's like, "Hey, I didn't know that your husband had died when I was. You know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry. Um, you know, he he has the deed to the house. But the, the cops were outside her house like the entire. Never mind. <laughs> so don't you just love at the end? Where it has a little circle with the Spidey head and the Peter head, and they're oh so cute together. That's like, that's like uh, the only happy end. You don't see Peter all that happy a lot. <laughs> yeah, they actually like had to make him use Smile. muscles he never used before. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Dicko was like like biting his teeth when he did that. And uh, Flash Thompson returns this issue. Yes, oh, yeah. to uh, Raz on Peter. 
as they always. A lot of these scenes are, you know, the the kids want to see something just because, and they invite Peter. He says no. This ah, what a loser! And that's that's all you see of them. Like these, the first ten issues. The like they make an effort in these early issues to include Peter, but he always turns them down. So which I don't is bl- I don't blame them for thinking that Peter stuck up. Yeah, it, kind of, it probably ticks Flash off because by issue four, Flash wants to fight Peter. Peter starts to shove back, and Flash is like, "Oh yeah, this is what I've been waiting oh, for." Goodness. And yeah. like what well, they don't say, but it fits in with the later retcon is like you stuck up little snob instead of a gun, you know. This is what I've been waiting for to show you what it's taking down a page. Well, yeah. Well, he and Peter, we later find out that they've he's known him since he was a child. But then it's uh, it's funny because that was like a retcon later that they were childhood quote unquote friends because in Gary Conway's run, I forget what it is, but he says that he's known Flash for. Uh, I always thought it was Jerry Conway, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, 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 I maybe it's yeah, maybe yeah, probably. Either way, whoever Conway is, he says something. I forget the year that he gives, but he says that he's only known Flash for like X amount of years. And if it was, it might have been like four or five years. So the guy's like, wait a second. So is Peter, and the reviewer was like, wait, so is Peter nine years old in this story? Right. Now All onto right. the terrible tinker. And this is, this is really does run more like a classic, like amazing fantasy kind of story. And it may be why I actually don't like it as much. <clears throat> the uncanny thing. imagine why of the terrible tinkerer with an exclamation point because it's better that way. Peter Parker volunteers to work for a famous electronics expert, Professor Cobwell, over the weekend. Cobwell asks Peter to pick up his radio at the Tinkerer Repair Shop, which only charges a dime for repairs, which even in 1963 is chump change to work on electronics. And that Um, magazine costs 25 cents. (laughs) At Cobwell's lab, Peter notices that the radio uh, notices that the radio triggers his spider sense. He opens the back and finds tubes unlike anything he has seen. Returning to the shop as Spider-Man, he discovers a gang of green, scaly aliens spying on military and scientific leaders through spy devices in their radios, which is just awesome. Um, Spider-Man breaks up the racket and finds the Tinkerer's human mask in his hands, implying he was an alien too. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of a simple story. I, I, I probably should have gone into more detail on the recap, but we do have first appearances of Professor Cobwell, who never shows up again. The Tinkerer is later revealed to be human, along with all the other aliens, and there's a retcon establishing that Quentin Beck is one of the group. He later becomes Mysterio, so that's a retcon first appearance of Mysterio here. And one of the other aliens is named Charlie. He shows up later, too. Which is funny. It is done. We can never again return to Earth. They will be on guard from this day on. So when they retcon death, they did that flashback, and then they show you what the next panel would have been where the other alien says, hey, you can drop the act. We're alone now. Yeah, it's like, what are you you still talking like an alien for? Spider-Man. And even (laughs) if they were aliens, it's like, we can never again return to Earth. Like, really? Like, you're... You got these ray guns and everything, but because Spider-Man shot some webs at you, it's like, ah, run away, never again return to Earth. <laughs> and then they got news <laughs> of the Hulk out in the Southwest. It's like, really? I, I, like, the, like, the best part I love about the story is the art. I think the art is, like, even better. Like, that shot on um, page three, of Pete, like, the half Spider-Man face, half Peter face. Like, yeah. That, that, that's an awesome image. And the tink- I was about to say, that's the. Fr- I was going to make a note of that, because that's the first time that they do that, and that's... Uh, a very classic thing. And fans, there were there were complaints from fans that they thought it was cheesy, but I really like it. Every once in a while, there'll be someone that's new to Spider-Man or new to the comics that'll like see them and be like, "Why does Peter have half a mask on right now?" Right. And I have to explain that he doesn't actually have half a mask on. That's like, ridiculous. When I was younger, I was like, "What is up with that?" But I didn't know it was like kind of like a metatextual thing. 
I never, sometimes, I never had that confusion. Spider sense, when I read you know? it as a kid, I never had that confusion. It was just like, oh, they're like showing that he's actually Spider-Man here. I mean, like, like the, the Tigger is a, like his his. It's a very very good artwork because like his face is so distinctive, but he has like a phallic looking nose and a phallic looking chin. It's kind of wanting to be really punched in the face. Oh, I love the Tinkerer's face here. Yeah, it's all totally pointy and twisted, but I love the face. It's a very it's very good art, but I I, I, I it's just it just like. When he goes on about it, I, I really want him to just like be kind of socked in the gut and like fall over and just be arrested. He, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not the It's not on Spider-Man Unlimited number nine or anything, but it's a story I could have done without. It's the Tinkerer was. Oh, yeah, the Tinkerer was actually wearing a mask of his real face over his face, which is why this retcon. It's like it's like a Doc Brown Back to the Future two moment. Yeah. He's and it's like smiling. The face, the face is smiling. It was definitely kind of creepy on the last page. Yeah. Yeah. This alien, like the alien thing, was kind of silly. Kind of silly. But retconning it was like even harder because it's like, okay, so the alien that said we must never again return to Earth, he was method acting, just right. like Aunt May, just like the Aunt May actress who died, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we talked about that in Clone Saga Chronicles because the aunt made it died was an actress, but like she had thought balloons while she was in her coma, so it was like she was method acting, which yeah, is even it, weirder because what actress signs up for a role where you're going to die? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, oh, yeah. It is very much in line with the, with the old Marvel tales, like you know, especially the Fantastic Four. They they fought like like I assume they fought like inter interplanetary things all the time, oh, yeah. but to do it with Spider Man, which is was such a low key, believable main character. You can you can tell like how how these green alien men run around, which is kind of disrupt the flow of the story. The green aliens are kind of straight out of the fifties too. I don't really care much. I mean, between the mask and the dialogue, it's like, and why were they disguised as aliens? And it, you know, it's it was reconning this was such a mess. It works. I, I almost would have rather had them leave it alone because it, I mean, they never recon the scrolls. Right. Which was like a silly story like this in Fantastic Four issue number two, ironically. But they they use the scrolls in like fifteen or something like that. So I mean, the scrolls got established before. People There's actually also a very huge plot hole in this thing. What's the huge not, plot hole here? Well, not a plot hole, but like something stupid. Like they said, they're gonna suck all the air out of the the bubble that Spider-Man is in. Yet he escapes by shooting his web out of out of air holes. How are they gonna suck air out of? A thing yeah, I don't know if there was like some sort of pump pushing the air out of those holes. I never really I got how that was supposed to work either. They're actors. They were probably just like, okay, we're just going to put him in this thing and tell him that he's suffocating. Maybe he'll, <laughs> maybe he'll maybe, suffocate. Maybe he'll freak out. It's psychosomatic. Like, you know, like, you know how, yeah, psycho, like, yeah, it's psychosomatic. Just tell him that he's suffocating. <laughs> You're yeah, running out of ass, Spider-Man. <laughs> worst villains ever. <laughs> Serious. We will really never like again return to Earth. Going into the empty shop, and then Spider Sense of the Dark, and going down the creepy staircase to the to the stone lined walls, that's really cool creepiness. Yeah, when you take out the whole retconning that happens later, this story works really well as a sort of amazing adult fantasy kind of story. Um, I actually, as I'm thinking about it now, I'm, I'm liking it better than I because I've read this story so many times as a kid, and it was one of my least favorites of the of the first volume of my trilogy. Which is why of books. I don't think retconning it was necessary. The silly aliens are silly, but the silly people who pretended to be silly aliens for no reason, and the guy that wore a mask of his own face, and they and they they retconned it separately. Like the Tinker was retconned at one point because they wanted to use a Tinker again, I guess. And then the aliens were retconned for a Mysterio story even later. Well, I understand why it's stupid because like like, they, like this this issue shows 
how like non-lethal and unthreatening they are. Like I, I said, he, he, just, he like socked them in the face and they just walk away. Like on one page, they throw a car engine, oh, I'm sorry, an inverter mechanism at him, you know, and chop it in a bubble with air holes and try to suck the air out. Like they're so non-threatening that, you know, I understand like not wasting the, wasting the point of recounting a useless story. But I, I don't think it hurts that they did it. We do get a web shooter diagram. Yeah, I like which, that. Which, which I always like. I always like how they like, explain how it works. We don't have the whole tap twice to fire thing established yet. I think that's established quite a bit later, actually. Yeah, so so explains how he punches without spraying people in the face. Right. Now, here there's a safety catch. Like, for me, that was always the explanation. There's a safety catch on. And so whenever he's punching and stuff, he's not shooting his webs. And also, I think the way it's lined up in your palm, like, when mm-hmm. you make a fist, your finger hits pretty high up on the palm. And then in yeah, this it page, it looks like he's actually up. reaching down to the bottom of his palm to push the button. So it to me, this totally makes sense. Sometimes they say, like, you know, he, he needs to be, he needs to have his certain set of strength to use it, and other people wouldn't be able to use it. Other times, it's like um, how he how he presses. Because a lot of times in these early issues, they say with the slightest pressure, he can use the web shooters, and it's like there's there's, there's a lot of back and forth with it. Yeah, it's one of those things that different writers played with. So if these are aliens, I mean, if these are guys in masks, what is the ship that's taking off there? The hell knows. <laughs> it's, a, it's an airplane that's just really fancy. I actually think that they that they did establish what it was later. Okay. Yeah, God in, God in heaven. And I just read that story, you know, in the past couple of weeks, so you think I'd know, but no, I don't remember why there's a... Um, yeah, uh, I'm, 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 I'm so, like, apathetic towards this story because it's so silly. <laughs> Uh, but I, I appreciate it if you like it. I don't, I don't so yeah, Tinkerer and Professor Cobwell, who is useless and kind of a absent-minded professor here. I kind of like the idea that Peter was chosen to work for the big name professor, even though the big name professor never shows up again. It was yeah. a weekend job. <laughs> it was a weekend job. You just made fun of for that, like, oh, you're gonna help the professor, aren't you, Lewis? Sometimes you want to want them to say, you know, you know, shut up. I get you, Isn't it ironic though? You're Spider-Man's biggest fan, but you hate Peter Parker. It's so ironic that we're gonna mention it a bunch of times in case you don't know how ironic it is. <laughs> it's uh, irony on irony. So this Uh, issue has a pretty cool ad for all of Marvel's heroes being published at the time. It advises kids to watch for the greatest symbols in comics. Which means the Marvel Comics group masthead that is in the top left of the corner of the cover. In this case, featuring the Fantastic Four. There is art for Thor appearing in Journey into Mystery. The Amazing Spider-Man, of course. Iron Man appearing in Tales of Suspense with his Mark I armor painted gold. There's Ant-Man appearing in Tales to Astonish and Human Torch appearing in Strange Tales and Fantastic Four. It says, many other stars now on sale, plus new surprises on our drawing board from the House of Ideas. And by many other stars, they actually mean all the non-superhero characters, because they have quite a few at the time. But Hulk's getting canceled this this month, it's just been canceled. And Star Trek Fury is not out yet, so... So yeah, it's kind of a cool ad though. It's actually I like these early ads because they're not just copies of covers; they're actual art to make it a cool looking ad. Okay, so wrapping up the episode, let's see what uh what are some favorite moments from the, these last two issues? Let's uh, let's do Donovan first. This one makes no sense. Aunt May, this money means you're not gonna have to worry about anything again. I paid the rent for a full year, and tomorrow I'm buying you the newest kitchen appliances you ever drooled over. That just that just insinuates. Either Jameson's richer than we thought, or Peter's just a spoiler child. Yeah, Jameson has to give him a lot of cash. <laughs> Even for the 60s. 
Yeah, uh, either that or like rent was dirt cheap. What have you the got? Line, the line that I was harping over when we were talking about the retcon. It is done. We can never again return to Earth. They will be on guard from this day on. Yes. <laughs> Just because of how how complicated that line made things later. Right. And in context of the retcon, it's a totally useless line now. Okay, so mine from issue one was in the Jameson story, whenever he's on the capsule, and he's like, there, I reached it, but now the capsule is losing altitude dangerously. Can I attach the missing unit in time? And you turn the page, and he's attaching the missing unit. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it's a very nice thing. And uh, this, the other one was from um, the splash page of the Tinkerer story. Spider-Man says, he looks so harmless, and yet the Tinkerer is one of the greatest menaces I've ever faced. And he's so not. Well, you know, he's fought, what, Crusher Hogan? <laughs> and, and a capsule. <laughs> the, the, the burglar, a capsule. And the vulture. A, com- a, a communist. Right, and a, 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 a mass <laughs> communist. <laughs> you can reach us by leaving comments on the podcast's main site, which is amazingspiderman.libsen.com. We don't have email set up yet, but we will soon. Keep on reading Spider-Man. Yay, Spider-Man. Thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Bye-bye. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a hang you'll find a Spider-Man. Yay, Spider-Man. Thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Bye-bye. Welcome to another episode of... <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. Awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, just like the whole context of that. I never, I, that, that was awesome, John. I've never heard somebody do that before. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs>